Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's hard-hitting Axis Arrows. Learn more about Easton's cutting-edge and fuse carbon arrow technology today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, editor Christian Byrne. Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. We are the voice of bow hunting, and today we're the voice of turkey calling. I've got uh, Matt Moret from the Hunter Specialties Pro Staff in uh, the office with us today. And uh, thanks for joining us, Matt, and uh, looking forward to talking some turkey hunting. Heck yeah, the weather's getting nice, and everybody's kind of got the fever right now. I know I do. I'm looking at that sunshine out there. It makes me want to go out there and gobble. Absolutely. Yeah, I was out shooting right here behind the office yesterday, and a lot of spring fever setting in uh, right now. Um, So listen, man, for folks who don't know, there's got to be two or three people out there who've been living under a rock, and they don't know who the the great Matt Moret is. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a Pennsylvania boy. He actually grew up uh, just a stone's throw here from Peterson's Bowhunting Headquarters, and You've been chasing turkeys for a few years now, huh? It's kind of funny. I lived here my whole life and never been over here at the office. And when I was young, I used to hunt right here. And, you know, this is all woods. But, yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania and just kind of followed in my dad's footstep in the woods. Um, he'd go hunting, and I'd sit in the yard and shoot doves or squirrels or whatever with a BB gun. And, I mean, hunting was in my blood. And went to a contest here at the uh, Eastern Sports and Outdoor Show and turkey calling contest. And, I knew that day when I was five years old, that's what I wanted to try to do, and I got lucky and, and won some of the larger contests in the country at 16, 17 as a young man, and it landed a full-time job with Hunter Specialties. I've been with HS for going on 25 years. I started with them in, in the late 80s, and you know here we are in 2011, and we're still talking about turkeys coast to coast. And so you... Uh haven't gotten tired of turkey hunting after 25 years of chasing them, right? No, I haven't. i tell you what, it, the cool thing, I mean, I love whitetails. That's, um, if I had to choose one, it'd be tough, but I love hunting whitetails, and, and I love turkeys. And I mean, I hunt anything, but those are my two favorites. But I think the coolest thing about turkey season is after a long, hard winter, and you finally see those nice days and the turkeys start to gobble, it's just a season that if, if you haven't experienced it, it's, it's just a great time to be in the woods. You watch a whole new life of everything come alive. I was outside this morning you know it's the 30s and the birds are starting to sing and daylight hours are getting longer it's it's coming and, and it just mm-hmm. breathes kind of breathes a whole new fresh air into you i think oh absolutely i actually wrote about that in uh my editorial for the april may issue talking about just how spring is it's a time for new life you know and and for those of us you know like myself i had a bit of a disappointments you know from the last hunting season and you kind of live all winter you know with some things that you regret or some things that didn't work out the way you wanted them to and turkey hunting man that is a great way to get back in the game take out some of your oh yeah you know frustrations from the you're not the the long cold winter you're not the only one that had a a hard season i hunted 80 days this fall for whitetails and I've had some ups and downs and more downs than ups, and, and uh, I had the roughest year I ever had in the deer woods, and I am definitely ready to take some frustration out here in a couple weeks. So, Matt, what uh, you've obviously won dozens of competitions over the years. What are what are the major sort of turkey turkey calling you know titles under your belt? And uh, and I guess 
in addition to that is, is turkey calling, you know, on the competition circuit, is that really the same as calling turkeys in the woods, or is it almost a different game, kind of like 3D shooting and, and shooting animals in the field? Okay, that's a great question. You know, I get asked it a lot. But, you know, first thing, um, I won the world championship turkey calling actually five times and uh, in the friction division, which is like a slate and box call. And uh, won the Grand Nationals, which that's the Super Bowl. That's the biggest one there is. I won that once as a senior. I also won it once as a junior. And uh, the U.S. Open, which is probably the third largest contest, um, I won that seven times. So I kind of got – there's a couple guys in the country that have won all the majors, and I'm just very fortunate to be one of those guys. And, you know, it's been a long time since I've I've stood on stage with a trophy, but – you know, it never leaves you. Um, I'm still competitive. I, this is the first year since I was six that I didn't compete at all. And we just came back from the Grand Nationals, the NWTF event, and uh, it was killing me not to call in the contest. But to answer your second question, and, you know, a lot of guys will say it's not the same, but in all honesty, the only difference between calling in the stage and calling in the woods is on stage you kind of put a routine together and, you know, you, you kind of get some style points there. But I can promise you with the calls that are out there today, I mean, turkey hunting has come a long way, but the more that you sound like a real hen and the more when you're calling no gobbler, the more you present that situation with your calls like a like in real real life every day for them, the more turkeys you're going to call in. If, if everybody worked an extra hour a year practicing their, their stuff, they'd be more successful. Um, with the equipment that's out there today by every manufacturer out there, there's no reason not to go to the turkey woods and not sound like a real hen. Now... As we're coming up on turkey season, and like you said, we're all starting to get the spring fever. We're digging through our deer bags and starting to pull those turkey calls out. I know I'm not the only one who likes to keep one of them in the truck and kind of make some noise in the cab while I'm driving down the highway. And um, you know, let's take a look at the three basic kind of calls. Obviously, you know, you've got your your friction call or your slate and glass calls, basically, with your striker. Uh, your box calls and your mouth calls or diaphragm calls. Do you recommend that, you know, pretty much everyone go into the field with at least one of, of each kind of call? Heck yeah, man. I sell turkey calls. We want you to have like four of each kind of call. No, you know, if you're a new hunter, you want to get one and get proficient with it, practice with it, and have confidence in it. And, you know, I kind of said this earlier with, with the manufacturing techniques of today, I don't care what slate call you pick up, what glass call, what box call. That tone's built into that call. It already sounds like a turkey. All you have to add is rhythm. Now, on, on the mouth call side of things, it's going to take a lot more practice. But, you know, I would definitely get a friction call box or a slater glass. And I would also, you know, pick up a couple diaphragms, learn how to use them, always practice with them. Like you said, the best place to practice is, is you know, if you got a 20-minute drive to work, you might look like a fool. But that's you're away from your family. Wives they hate turkey calls. I mean, period. no doubt, no doubt. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's the best place to practice. And, and the more you can practice, and with today's audio and video stuff that you can listen to and watch, you don't even have to get into the woods to hear what a real turkey sounds like. Well, that's yeah, and that's the nice thing, you know, Hunter Specialties, as well as some of the other companies. You know, a lot of the calls nowadays are coming with a little mini CD packaged with it, and. Uh, you know, I remember it was cassette tapes, you know, when I first started getting the calls. But those are great, you know, tools to teach you the basics. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you said you remember the cassette tapes. That tells you you're a lot younger than I am. I, when I first started, my dad had a 
little 45 record, you know, that would you put the needle on and it would skip and play. That's how he learned, and that's how I learned the basic sounds uh, of turkeys. And, you know, before I even went to the woods, and then growing up, we raised turkeys, raised wild turkeys, and I'd listen to them every day. And, and I really think that helped me to my career as calling is I listened to turkeys 365 days a year. I watched them. I learned what they did. And, I mean, I'm not saying we can go to the woods every time and call a turkey up, but if I can make one gobble, we're probably at least going to get the scene unless something else happens. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be arrogant about that, but we, it's just like a football player. He goes out there and throws a pass every day of his life. He's going to be real good at it. And that's, that's the more you do it, the better you become at it. I don't care, you know, what you're doing. It's, it's turkey hunting, deer hunting, anything, shooting a bow. You know, guys that pick up their bow three days before bow season, there's a 50-50 chance that you're going to hit what you're aiming at, and there's a 50-50 chance you're not going to hit where you want to hit. Mm-hmm. But I know, like you, you said you were shooting the other day outside the office here. You shoot 365 days a year, and, and the same thing is with you, with turkey hunting or deer hunting skills. The more you do it, the better you become. So let's talk about the turkey sounds of the okay. spring woods. Now, can you reproduce all the sounds you need for the spring with any one of these calls or are there certain things you can and can't do with the various calls you can any of them will do just about anything you need to do and and to be honest with you a turkey has a array of vocalizations that they'll do but if you can know and go to the woods with two you know especially if you're a new turkey hunter you're in good shape and you can do basic two basic sounds. sounds and that's yelping which turkeys do all the time and I would also learn how to cut because cutting is a call that a hen does when she's real excited. She's either really wanting to be with a gobbler. I mean, we've got to face it, spring turkey hunting has to deal with one thing, and that's mating season. And those gobblers, it related to human life, those gobblers only get to do it for about 45 to 50 days. They're going to try to find hens every one of those days. And the more excited you sound, a lot of times they'll get that gobbler cranked up, and cutting is a sound that a hen does when she's fired up. Or flip side cutting is a hen that she'll do when she's really angry at another hen and today's population turkey population nationwide is is really grown i mean there's Mm -hmm. turkeys everywhere i mean look here where we're at right now we could walk to the closest flock of turkeys here in central pennsylvania and in suburbia and 20 years ago you couldn't find a turkey that wasn't on the mountain back there but with that population growing every time a gobbler gobbles there's hens around him, and that's what we're dealing with. As, as nature has it, he gobbles, the hens go to him. And once he has girlfriends there, he's not going to move to come to another hen, for the most part. That's when you have to reverse tactics and try to call those hens to you. But those two calls right there can cover you. And the biggest thing is controlling the volume. Um, you don't want to do something that's not natural. Most guys call way too loud, where if you listen to a hen, she's not necessarily as loud as you're calling on your calling device. So let's start with the yelp. That's okay. probably the most basic sound. It's the, the, probably the easiest one for everybody to do, you know, and that's – um, so go ahead and just hit okay. it. You've got a – This is a glass call. It's a ring zone. And, um, you know, basically when a turkey yelps, it's just letting other turkeys know where they're at. And I mean, a yelp can mean a lot of different things. This is general communication, just – How many times do you typically do it? Yeah, I don't How know many that. times does a turkey yelp? I mean, she, she'll yelp two to 75 times, depending on the situation. I mean, and that's the thing. If you can just three or four or five times, I mean, that's natural. You know, when a hen's excited, she might, and you can, you know, put a little bit of inflection into that call, 
add some cutting. Now she's excited to be with that gobbler, or she's mad at another hen. You know, a lot of times when they first wake up in the morning, you know, just like us, we don't wake up and yell and scream when a turkey wakes up. She'll she'll yelp, but it'll be real soft. And a lot of times you hear that called the tree call. And that, and that's that, that's key when you get set up on a gobbler. You don't want to start the conversation off, you know, related to human language. You want to talk to him soft. Yeah, if I walked up to you and was like, "Hey, Matt, how are you?" I'd run away, and the same thing a turkey would do. <laughs> You know, you start it soft, you get him excited, and at the end of it, you, you go back to that soft stuff to close the deal. I mean, a lot of it's common sense, just like our language. I mean, just like we talk to each other, and inflection is so important in your calling. So, typically, uh, let's say a scenario where you know that you have some birds roosted, and you've moved, you know, into position to set up for that morning, you'd start out probably, typically, with a soft uh, tree call yep, like that? Yeah, just real soft, subtle stuff, just... Just like she does. If he answers that, I'm pretty much going to put my call down for a while. Because the more you call to him on the roost, the more excited he's going to get. A couple things can happen. He's going to wait for you to come to him because that's what happens every day in his life. And the more you make him gobble, the more excited he gets. He stays in that tree forever. And the more he gobbles, especially you know if you're hunting public land, other hunters may hear him gobbling. So I'm going to let him hear me a couple times. If he answers me right back, he knows where I'm at. I'm going to wait till he gets on the ground. Until I, you know, take his temperature and decide what else I have to do. So, you know, you covered the yelping. You put a few cuts in there. What exactly is the cut? How does that differ from the yelp? And how do you produce that sound with the various calls? Okay. Cutting is a turkey. A lot of times, you know, all day long, will walk around the woods clucking. You know, just kind of. If you ever yeah, get around chickens, like, yeah, just. Exactly. You know, and they're just letting other turkeys, it's just, they're a flock animal. They're just letting other birds know where they're at. If one slips over the side of the ridge, you might hear it cluck. It's just kind of a contented call. When she goes to cutting, when that hen goes to cutting, she's adding a lot of inflection, a lot of emotion to that call. You know, and, and usually it's multiple times where a cluck, you know, on a glass call, you just simply strike, put the striker down, just kind of strike it like a match. That's kind of the cluck. She's just... She's just letting other turkeys know where she's at. Now, if she gets excited, she's going to add a little more volume, but more more than that is just inflection and, and rhythm. She's going to do it fast. So really, at its most basic, cutting is just a fast-paced series of clucks. clucks. It absolutely is. It, you know, it really is. And, you know, you might want to throw some excited yelps in there, like when a hen's real excited she'll put a lot of that emotion in there yelping and that's just what you want to do to that gobbler that's when you want to get him fired up like if i have one hit the ground and i yelp at him and he doesn't answer me and i'm thinking man what's going on i'm going to try to make him gobble trying to get him excited i'm going to try to raise his temperature and cut in and yelping like on this mouth call that's a that's a pretty ratty looking mouth call. i think that thing's been in the woods with you a time or two i just i got my hunting calls out of my pack this morning you said bring some calls and you know when i that's when I do most of my practicing anymore is in the woods. When I hear a hen, I try to mimic her. I try to sound just like her. But on a mouth call cutting, you just say the word putt into the latex. And you want to do it a little bit faster and, you know, just a little bit more volume. I'll start with clucking first and then kind of go into that cutting and throw some excited yelping into it. Now when she goes to cutting...
And that's you know that's what it takes to get that gobbler fired up. You want to you want to keep him cranked up. Now here's the key: if he's coming to you, you know he gobbles one time, he cut her, yelped at him. You call again, and he's 20 yards closer. You don't have to keep calling because every time you call to him, there's a chance he might stop and strut because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to show off to those hens, and when he does that out there at 80 yards, he's not doing you any good. So if he's closing the distance, let him come find you. Now here's where volume control, you know, is crucial. I'm gonna hit a box call real quick because a box call, to me, sounds more like a turkey than pretty much any call out there. It's just a old, probably one of the oldest calls out there. Definitely responsible for more turkeys in the back of the truck than any call out there. But, you know, excited yelping on a box call. Now, let's say we hit him with that. He's on his way in. Now he's at 50 yards, and we can see his tail fan. You know, he's, he's blown up out there, and he's just back and forth kind of hung up. Here's where a lot of hunters make their mistakes. They grab their call let's say we take a slater glass call and you know we know we need to make one more sound and we're nervous our hands shaking we finally get it down there and we call way too loud to that turkey if he's closing the distance that's when you want to go to real soft stuff and going back to those two sounds like clucking or each soft yelping or another sound that we can make at this time would be clucks and purrs and that's a that's a hen turkey when she's real content. She's just walking around looking for something to eat. And... Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, I'm not a, an expert by any, you know, by any means compared to you, but that is one thing I found where, especially if you have a flock of birds that sort of heading in your general direction and they're just feeding their way along, a lot of times just a, every now and then a little cluck or a purr just can maybe steer them ever so slightly, you know, into range. You know, sure. if you kind of make yourself seem like you're, you know, you're on the edge of the flock and they're kind of maybe going to work their way a little bit over there. That, that's that's absolutely right. You know, a, a gobbler, a lot of times, he'll have five, six, 10, 15 hens, whatever, and he's strutting there behind them. And, you know, especially early in the season and even later in the season, you watch them. And you don't see any breeding going on. A lot of times you can call that gobbler away because those hens are not receptive. They're either not ready to, to breed and, and lay or they already have laid, or, you know, and, and waiting for that incubation period. You know, like here in, in the eastern part of the country where our season is pretty late compared to most, the end of our turkey season is right there at the end of May. And a lot of guys give up where that's really – you can find gobblers that are really susceptible to come to the call because they haven't bred a hen in – 10 days because all those hens are sitting on the nest you really got to pay attention to the, the season curve you know like this spring if it's going to start a little early I'd, I'd bet turkeys are gobbling well no doubt you know florida comes in this week turkeys are gobbling all across this country and breeding's taking place so you know that's why preseason scouting getting out there right now and just knowing what, what phase your birds are in can help you on opening day so clucks or yelps cuts purrs is there other sounds that we haven't covered? No, not really for the springtime. I mean, if you can stick with, with those, you're in good shape. I mean, you don't have to really expand that vocabulary to 20 different vocalizations. Because, I mean, like a kiki run is a is primarily a fall call that young turkeys make. You know, and gobbling at a, at a spring turkey, probably, number one, it's not really safe to be gobbling out there. Number two, you know, turkeys, just like any wild animal, live by a rigid pecking order. And most of the times that you gobble at a turkey, 
uh, probably eight out of ten times he's going to shy away from you. And, you know, it takes that one that wants to fight and is probably the dominant bird to come in there to that sound. Uh, better than gobbling at a turkey to challenge his dominance. You know, a, a gobbler will yelp, especially a Jake, a juvenile gobbler. He'll yelp a lot of times. And it's really similar to a hen yelp. The bottom line is it's, it's a little bit slower. A little bit, you know, shorter in succession, four or five notes. And a little deeper, just on a friction call, just move closer to the middle of your call to get that deeper sound and and you're just maybe letting that gobbler know maybe he's hung up out there you're letting him know hey there's another male over there with that hen i better go over there and check it out and it sounds like a jake yelping you know just if you use more common sense instead of going out there and just letting the fire fly off your box call or your slate call use common sense and think about a conversation just like you and i would have or you'd have with your wife or whatever use that in your turkey hunting arsenal and you'll be you'll be a lot more successful at getting birds in the range. What about decoys, Matt? How often do you use decoys? And, you know, what role do they play in in your turkey hunting in the springtime? Well, I'm a big advocate of decoys, um, especially as bow hunting turkeys. I mean, they're you might as well forget your bow if you don't have a decoy, in my opinion, especially in, in the spring. They just take all that turkey's attention off of you and put it on what he thinks is that real hen. One thing that uh, I try to do, you know, depending on the range, like a bow setup, I try to set my decoys pretty close. My goal nowadays in my turkey hunting, I want that turkey, if I'm hunting with a shotgun or a bow, I want him at eight yards. I like him close. And I'll take that decoy. If I know the turkey's, hear him gobbling, I think he's coming from a certain direction. I don't always put the decoy directly between me and him. Because I don't want him looking right at me through the decoy. I try to put it at one side or the other. And being a right-handed shooter, I try to put it off 45 degrees off my left shoulder. That way he has to come by me or he's not looking right at me to to get to that decoy. I think using a hen, if you're going to use one, is the best. If you're going to use a a double decoy setup, you want to use a gobbler and a hen, a gobbler of some sort. Preferably, I like a gobbler that's not full strut. I like one that's kind of in a submissive pose. Um, just for the simple fact that a lot less chance of running a two-year-old or whatever off because he's in a submissive, subdominant pose and uh, as a Jake decoy. Um, and that's, you know, bottom line. I just don't want him looking at me. I want him to see the de- decoy is important, too. You don't, if you're in a wood situation, you don't want to put him by a thicket. You want to find a logging road or a ridge top, somewhere where that turkey can see that decoy a long ways off because a lot of times we put it out and a decoy doesn't work because a gobbler... Or, coming in never saw it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gotcha so another question that i have for you is and i know that this is a situation that you know anybody who's done a little bit of turkey hunting has been in is you know i get out there in the morning there's some birds gobbling off the roost and they'll answer your calls fairly readily from the roost the birds get down and everything goes quiet. How long do you stick with a setup in that situation? How do you know when it's time to kind of give up and maybe move, try and find some other birds or, or what have you? Well, that's, I mean, that's a loaded question kind of because it happens to all of us. And it depends on a couple things, how much ground you have to hunt, if you have other places that you can go and try to get a turkey to gobble. If it's the only situation, the only place that I have, I'm going to stick with them as long as I can because all, all that's happened is, 
for the most part, they've flown down or he flew down and he's with his hens. And every once in a while he may gobble. I'm listening to what those hens are doing. I'm listening for, you know, sounds they're making. I'm listening for Jake's yelping. And if I get a hen to crank back up at me, I'll forget about calling him up. I'm going to try to call her up. You know, if that doesn't work, I'll try to stay with those turkeys. If I can, you know, kind of keep a pinpoint or know where they're going till about 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. Because a lot of times he'll take care of that business. They'll breed those hens and they'll go off. They'll leave him to go get water, go lay an egg or what have you. And if he starts gobbling at 9 or 10, he's usually dead, to be honest with you, because he's, he's lost his hens or at least shot at. You talked at the beginning of this about the fact that, you know, pretty much because of how much you do this, the time that you've invested in it, you know, you can go out on any given day and pretty much get a turkey to gobble. There's a lot of us who don't necessarily have that confidence or we get out there and we we try, you know, the the things that we can do and and it's like there's nothing going on. Um, Is there... You know, really, that much of a, a you know a hope for those of us who are oh, in that boat. You know, compared to somebody like you who can maybe just make it happen. Or how much can you really do? Well, you really make it happen if they're just not in the mood. So yeah, speak. you try to get them cranked up, but you also have to hunt where there's turkeys. And that's you know even especially around here, guys hunt little parcels of ground that you know. And I'm saying little. I'd love to own 80 acres or 100 acres, but when you go out there on 100 acres and you yelp one time and one doesn't answer you, you can pretty much bet that one's not fired up. You can try it a couple times, but you really need to cover some ground. And I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I'm spoiled. I get to hunt in some of the best places in the, in the country for turkeys. But, like, when I'm hunting back home here, you know, I, if I can get one to gobble, I mean, you're, you're winning the game. Getting him in is a whole other story. And I just think that there's days when I don't get anything to gobble either. But I think what I've learned probably in the last 10 years in my 30s is that uh, it's just like a, a pro bass fisherman i mean you can take go fishing with a guy that's on the pro bass circuit he's going to outcast you 20 to 1 and you might not catch a fish and he might not catch a fish but he always knows there's one on that next cast and i think that's what it is with turkey hunting i'm kind of we kind of get relentless with it and don't give up you know a lot of guys you go out there for an hour in the morning, especially if you have off and you're on a weekend hunt or something, and you go out there an hour in the morning, nothing happens, and you go back to camp and, or go back home and the honeydew list gets created. You're missing the best part of the day, which is 9 to noon or 9 to 1, wherever you're at. You know, and, and some states nowadays allow all-day hunting, like we are here in Pennsylvania this year. The last two weeks of the season, you can hunt all through the afternoon into the evening. And, and uh, if you're going to turkey hunt and, you know, you want to get serious about it, don't just rely on that roost time to be successful give yourself that midday that mid-morning stuff too because it can be very very it can pay off big time what about uh you know especially in areas like here in in pa a lot of these eastern states where we've got a lot of hunters a lot of pressure hunting pressure out there for spring turkeys you know there's sort of the conventional wisdom says you know that these birds on public ground just get hammered with hunting pressure and after the first couple days of the season they've been called to they've been shot at and you just ain't gonna you know get them to do squat is that kind of true or is that are we selling ourselves short and just giving us an excuse to give up you're trying to get me in trouble here um there is no doubt that pressure on any animals makes that animal more difficult to hunt i mean if you think about somebody that would be hunting us, 
we learn and adapt to stay away from that danger. And turkeys and deer and everything else do the same thing. No doubt that it makes it tougher. But that gobbler that's on public ground that's gobbling and has been called to or has been shot at or whatever, he still wants to breed hens. You just have to outsmart him. You have to be smarter than he is. More than pressure, I think that what happens is the situations that those turkeys get into on a daily basis prior to season, opening week of season, are unnatural. They might fall for an unnatural situation once. You just have to lend yourself to be more natural. I mean, don't go out there with your box call and just make the woods go on fire. You go out there and sound like a turkey, you can call them up. You know, a lot of guys say call soft, don't call it all. Man, I love to call them up. That's my game. And, and some guys like to sit in the blind all day and wait for them to come by. That's fine. I mean, I'm glad you're a hunter no matter what you do. But as far as calling them up, you can call any turkey up out there, even one that's been shot at. I mean, we've called turkeys up on public ground all over this country. and uh, But it does get a little harder. Pressure makes it more difficult. The, the biggest thing is try to sound more realistic and put yourself in the more realistic situation. Well, and that comes back to couple things that you said there one just kind of made me laugh because you're like you got to outsmart him and i know that's how every time you know i go out for a turkey hunt and i'm not successful or i don't get into birds and i don't have any action you know it's always it's always pretty humbling to be driving home thinking i just got like outwitted by an animal with a you know brain the size of a peanut <laughs> you but know, you that? go back to the drawing <laughs> and that's i mean that's why it's so that's why it's such a cool sport because if we went out there every day of the year, we made a sound, or we rattled a set of antlers and a deer ran up to us and we shot it, or a turkey ran in, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be fun. I mean, it's a challenge, and, and I think that's what's key. And I'll tell you what else with turkey hunting, and this is, this is the truth. And you know, I've been traveling the country for 25 years, and I watched a lot of states in their infancy and turkey season grow to be meccas like Wisconsin and Minnesota and you know, I was up there when you could you could take a matchbook up there and tell a guy that would help you be a better turkey hunter, and he'd pay you five bucks for it. You know, now, I mean, it's just crazy. But guys, that are, anybody listen to this, if your wife has any interest in hunting, turkey hunting is where to get her started. Um, kids, the same way, it's a great sport to get a kid involved, but I want to go to the female side of things. Turkey hunting is the ultimate female sport. I mean, if you think about it, girls are better shots than we are. Um, especially with a, a weapon, you take your wife who's never shot a twenty-two rifle to the rifle range, show her the basics, put a target up there at twenty-five yards, and she's hitting quarters every time. Girls are more patient than we are, as a rule. And you think about your mom growing up. You know, you went to your mom with problems more than your dad because your dad was probably going to lose his cool and get that belt out. But I think turkey hunting is the ultimate female sport because it's a sport where a girl can go out and talk sexy to a male. And at 20 yards, they blow its head off. And, you know, it's total revenge on the male species. But for some reason, women really, if they're going to be involved in the outdoors, turkey hunting is a great way to get them because they, they love that time of year. It's kind of warm. It's not cold, yeah. Yeah, and, and we're seeing a big influx in the female side of the sport, especially in turkeys. I mean, not just deer hunting, but turkeys, it's really, really growing, which is awesome. We need everybody out there that we can to, to see, number one, how fun hunting is and how, how positive it is for for conservation and everything else yeah it's uh i got my wife a bow a couple years back and she's really enjoyed you know shooting just you know target shooting in the yard and uh gradually getting a little more interested in hunting and she actually had said this past winter here that she's 
you know, maybe wanting to come out turkey hunting that's some cool. this spring. So well, that's, maybe we'll get her, you know, into the field a couple times. Yeah, and then she sees your passion. And, you know, hunting is for kids is like myself. When I grew up, I mean, I, the bad part is I was in school looking out the window thinking about something that I could go out there and chase. And, you know, the, the cool thing is it's a great way to grow up. It's a great environment. It keeps you out of trouble. And, I mean, there's other passions out there. I mean, some guys like golf. That's great. And some people like fishing. I'm, I'm a casual fisherman, and I'm a terrible golfer, so I stick to hunting. And, you know, just like you said, shooting your bow. We shoot our bows every day all summer long. It's a family activity from my mm-hmm. 9-year-old, my wife, myself, <clears throat> my dad. And, I mean, what better way to – I don't, if I didn't hunt, I don't know how I'd live my life because I live to, to do it every day. Right. Let's – Let's kind of close out with a little brief discussion here on equipment. And what I mean by that is we've covered the basic kind of calls. But, you know, there's so many things in hunting. And, you know, you and I shouldn't even have this discussion. We're going to get ourselves in trouble because, you know, you work with hunter specialties and they've got a lot of products to sell. And I edit a a bow hunting magazine and our advertisers have a lot of products to sell. But let's face it, you know, you can only carry so many things into the woods and we all over time develop what i call a system you know everybody's got their own system everybody's got their go-to gear and and honestly for the most part i think we're better off to keep things as simple as as reasonably possible you know without shortchanging ourselves on gear and uh you know so there's things like uh for instance a new call that you guys came out with last year that squealing hen, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you see you see things like this, and you think to yourself, "Is this for real, or is this a gimmick, or is this something that's going to work like one time every thousand? You know, is it really worth me carrying, you know, this new gadget or that new gadget into the field?" Um, talk to me a little bit about the squealing hen, and and maybe other things like that, where maybe it's not something that you'd use every day. But maybe something, you know, here's two or three things that you might want to have sort of in your, your hip pocket, your bag of tricks for okay. when all else fails, it's worth a try. Well, that's a good subject, and I apologize I didn't bring one today. But um, number one, I think my most important piece of equipment that I go to the turkey woods is my turkey vest because it has everything I need in it, and it keeps me organized. And, and they're pretty cool if you haven't seen one. You know, there's lots of them out there. Check them out. There's pockets for everything, and that way it's there. But... When the squealing hen first came out, and I'll tell you right now, Hunter especially stance on gimmicks, since I've been there since the late 80s, you know, you always see a gimmick that comes out. There's, you know, somebody says, I can just tell you this straight up. If, if, if you buy this call, it'll call every deer or turkey in, or you buy this fishing plug, you're going to catch every fish in the lake, save your money because it's, it's, it's impossible. We don't talk to those animals or those fish. We don't know everything they do. There's no surefire 100 percent method of anything but i will tell you about the squealing hen i was probably the biggest doubter in the company because i never heard a turkey do it in my life and i've watched lots of hens breed gobblers or gobblers breed hens excuse me and uh you know eddie salter came to us with this sound and a recording of a hen, of a hen turkey doing it and eddie doesn't need any help i mean eddie's probably the best turkey hunter i've ever been in the woods with personally and and, and great friend and I mean, I was kind of calling BS on it for a long time until last spring. And I can promise you, after last spring's events, for me, I'll never go to the woods without one. It does not work every time. And I probably used it in 25, 30 situations and had it work two or three times. But those two or three times that it did work, it was the last resort. I've tried everything I knew, and I hit it, and turkeys ran me over. 
So for that situation, absolutely, I think it's a it's viable. It's not surefire. We get a lot of success letters about the squealing hen at HS. We sold a bunch of them last year. And we get some guys that are really dissatisfied with it because there's always those people looking for the easy way out. And, you know, there's no easy way out of this. It's turkey hunting. You're going to have ups and downs. But that squealing hen is a tool. And what it is, it's a sound that a hen makes when she's kind of distressed, whether she's stuck in a fence or having problems or she's, you know, a gobbler's on top of her and they're breeding and it's hurting her. And that's the situations that I used it in, it absolutely 100% made the difference. And it, both times it called the hens in with the gobblers coming right behind them. And the hens came running, and uh, we closed the deal. Actually, my first hunt last year was with a bow in Kansas. And uh, I tried everything through the kitchen sink at this turkey and hit him with a squealing hen. Hen came in. He came in at 10 yards, and I closed my eyes and somehow got an arrow in where I needed to get it. Closed your eyes, huh? That's how I shot the bow, right? A couple other things that you guys have that are sort of new um you have the new tuner peg for 2010 that's actually an adjustable striker where you can adjust the length of the uh you know the wood or the carbon you have a two versions right a wood version and a carbon version we have a wood version and an all-weather carbon or you know aluminum tip striker just to use in the rain that's one cool thing about a a slater glass call with with a non-wood peg or striker you can use it in any weather situation and you know just like talking about that real quick all of our box calls now are, are coded to use in wet weather conditions too. So you don't have to chalk those anymore? No chalking, and it's got a weatherproof coating. It'll work. You can run it under your sink, and it'll work fine. But the tuner peg is kind of cool, and it's it's the only product on the market like it. The, the, real, the depth of that striker is when it goes into the bell, and how a striker works, the sound comes up through the, the, the peg part of it, and the vibrations collected at the top at the bell. And that depth that that striker set in that bell is critical. Now, your hand and my hand are different. You might have a favorite call different than, than my favorite call, and every striker is different. So you can actually tune the length of that striker, which tunes the sound of the peg to your particular call, your particular hand, the way you grab the striker. It's completely tunable, and it's just one of those things that can make maybe a, your call that you don't think sounds so good, maybe it's the striker because the striker is just as important as the playing surface. So that's why we came up with the tuner pegs, and it uh, it's a pretty neat product. And um, and as well as the ring zone, you guys are offering that tuner peg. You can pick one up separately, or you can buy it packaged uh, with the ring zone calls. And I think, is this maybe the third year or so for the ring zone? It is, and the ring zone story is kind of cool, too, and I'll, I'll just go through it real quick. Um, you know, a lot of times as a company like Hunter Specialties, people come to us with ideas. And that's part of what I do is I go and research a lot of these ideas, and I've seen it all. I mean, it's kind of cool. People are always tinkering. and But this gentleman, I met him, I don't even remember where, and he's a retired surgeon. And just his intelligence blew my mind. I mean, obviously, been in the hospitals for a year and through the schooling that he did. But he's been doing research on wild turkey sounds. And he had this call... And honestly, it sounded like crap. And he goes, this call will match a hen turkey on the oscilloscope every time. And the oscilloscope measures sound waves. And uh, he goes, there's no other call in the market that will do it. I'm thinking, that's bull crap. I mean, I know that if I get down there in that oscilloscope and I take my mouth call or a good box call, I can match it. Well, he proved me wrong. I mean, it's close. But that ring on those ring zones, the sound waves that that call projects 
actually is the only call out there that'll directly match the oscilloscope reading of a, of a wild turkey hen. And I took I took a hundred different hens down there and put them on the oscilloscope, and their sound waves that they project are within a T of each other, and that's from California to Maine recordings. It's pretty amazing, and the the ring zone will do it every time. And we have had testing where we've taken the ring zone against even our old calls that didn't have the ring zone and have had more gobbling activity to, towards the ring zone than not. Now, I'm not saying that it's 100% or anything like that. There is some there is some science behind the ring zone. It's just not a ring on the end of a call. Gotcha. So, yeah, those are pretty nice, and I've used those the last couple of years, and uh, they are nice calls. They're easy to use, and uh, like you say, it... Uh, might not be anything that we're hearing, you know, as hunters with our naked ear. But, uh, heck, you know, as, as hard as this game can be at times, you, you don't mind having a little extra advantage any way that you can get it nowadays. Well, I will tell you something that's a fallacy that, that been it, you know, marketing is a crazy thing. We both work in businesses where marketing is important. But for years, everybody thinks high pitch is what it takes to get a turkey to, re, to respond when in all reality... The low pitches in the calls are what makes a turkey respond. And if you think about somebody with a loud radio going down the street and you hear, if he has a treble turn the whole way up, you never hear that radio. But let him turn the bass down and you hear it thumping. That bass at the same volume carries so much farther. For a turkey to be able to hear, you know, there's there's been lots of studies on turkeys hearing. But, I mean, for a turkey to hear above like 10,000 hertz, and I don't even know what that means, but I just know that's a symbol. It has to be as loud as a dump truck motor, mm. Jake brake. So their hearing range isn't 15,000 hertz and above like what's been <clears throat> what's been said. The high range, the, the high pitch sounds do not make turkeys respond as, as good as lower pitch sounds. And and that break in a turkey yelp will go from high to low. That low pitch is what's going to carry. Well, Matt, it's... Uh... It's been really great having you in here today, and there's a lot of useful information, you know, in this conversation that we've had. You're getting ready. I know we were talking before we got started here. You're about to embark on a turkey hunting odyssey that's going to take you from California to Florida to Maine to everywhere in between, and you pretty much spend probably eight or ten weeks every spring just take chasing turkeys across this country. I do. Um, I'm very fortunate to do that, let me tell you. It's... I mean, I'm blessed to have the job that I, and I know you feel the same way, you know, when you wake up and and do what you do for a living. I mean, there's some toll to be paid, but, and I'm not worried about getting rich. I just love sharing that message, conservation message, the turkey message with anybody I can. So, if people want to see what you're up to during the spring, uh, they can check you out on television, right? You guys have a Hunter Specialties TV program as well as a brand new turkey hunting dvd right yes we have uh every year we capture all of our hunts on on dvd this year this spring's uh production that's out right now is from last spring cutting and strutting 15 um we're on the outdoor channel three days a week 52 weeks a year uh, hunter specialties outdoors and uh, you can always check us out on our website at uh, www.hunterspec Somebody got hunter specialties before we did, hunterspec.com. And we usually keep pictures and everything going through the spring. And, and uh, you know, social media, we got Facebook, Twitter, and all that stuff as well. 
Well, that's good, Matt. Like I said, I really appreciate you stopping in. Uh, glad we finally had the chance to hook up here close to home. We usually only, only see each other yeah, I saw you at Vegas these trade shows in Las Vegas <laughs> or whatever, and you know, you're three blocks away here, so that's great. And uh, well, I appreciate yeah. you inviting me. You know, some of the other guys that work over here in this building, I've known them for 20 years, and they've kind of kept it a secret. Well, I, I think that's kind of an old wives' tale, but <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, good luck on your hunts this spring. Thank and you, again, buddy. thanks a lot, and uh, good, uh, be safe out there. Safe travels. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's Hard-Hitting Access Arrows. For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.